Good morning, everyone. I'm Eric Peace. And I'm Heather Peace. Welcome to Peace Talks with a Z. I don't like the way you say Z, though. <laughs> they can just say Peace Talks. You don't have to go Z every single time. Because we, well, we, you know, we have to clarify who we are so you can find our podcast and other platforms. And maybe our website will be going soon. But. Yeah. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I promise we'll start posting stuff. Actually, we're planning to post uh, photos of these delicious cookies. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of cookies are they? They're ube. Ube cookies. Like, yes, I know. They're not as purple as I wanted them to be. They're still coming out a little more on the brown side. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. The first time I made them, I used brown sugar. And so they are more purple because I used white sugar this time. But it's, I, I was hoping for more of the lavender color that you see for ube cookies. Ube I, They probably use food coloring. A million, I bet you a million dollars that they used to get the purple color. Yeah, and not probably. just natural. Not just ube, not just ube jam. Yeah, because even the ube ice cream that we would get in Hawaii would be food coloring. It's not purple. Yeah. And by the way, ube just tastes like vanilla. Yeah, so it's a asks, it's, it's a Filipino vanilla. sweet potato. Yeah, it's it's good it's though. Good. It's really yummy. Not so. really a sweet potato. That's why the differentiates ube, not sweet potato. Yes. Because once there is purple sweet potatoes, and then there's ube. Those are two separately different things. Yeah, but we're eating them because you know snacks are delicious. And, yeah. While you're, uh, while you're recording that's what we got to do so that will be up on probably our instagram maybe we'll do a tiktok video about it i don't know yet we'll see what happens yeah well, all right yeah, well, we got it posted it's good um but i got the recipe from arsenic and adobo which is a book by mia manansala and it's just a little cozy murder mystery because you guys know i love my my cozy murder mysteries eric is rolling his eyes at me yeah it's good times i guess <laughs> you like you like weird stuff like you that. like cookies Cookies are good. Food is good in general, so cookies are pretty good. Yeah, you like Filipino food, too. Well, yeah. Well, I am part Filipino, so that makes sense, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I like Filipino food. Yeah. And I'm Norwegian, so. Yeah, blah. Blah. Okay. Nobody likes Norwegian food. I know. No, it's like fish. It's all the fish. <laughs> boiled. It's boiled. all the fish. fish or dried. Or you can dried. have dried fish. That's disgusting. <laughs> all right. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um this again, this is our, our only our third episode, so bear us, we, we're going to be trying different formats until we get a, a groove going. So so uh, last week, Heather uh, researched Angela Lansbury, and then I responded blind, so now this time it will be the inverse of that. So it's my turn to pick a topic, and today I want to talk about coincidences. Hmm. This is the kind of stuff that's cool and fascinating to me, these are like, you know, major, uh, weird or strange, or just, you know, in general, and then we'll see about what... what and do you I th- get to react. Yes. And so... Um, <laughs> What, how do you define a coincidence? Um, a bizarre set of circumstances that have some sort of symmetry, although in no way planned. Okay, that makes or sense. Or orchestrated. Yeah. Yeah. I just wrote down the definition. Okay, what's the definition of <laughs> well, coincidence? Well, there's multiple definitions, but this nice. major one is like, coincidence is an occasion when two or more similar things happen at the same time, especially in a way that's unlikely and surprising. Nice. And so I think the question, I guess, is... Um, do you believe it to be something more or do you just think like it's just a coincidence? Because I'm going to go through these stories. There's about 20 something of them in there. Some are short, some are long, some are better okay. than others, but I'm just going to go through them. And all right. And then some of these stories, be aware that some of these coincidences do revolve around death. So if you're, you know, like it's not not super. Some of it's gory, some of it's not real gory, but we'll get good into that. And um, again, some of these events may not be uh, may not seem to be such a big deal or strange enough to be mentioned. But hey. Somebody thought so. That's yeah. what they thought so. And uh, many of these stories uh, about to share came from a book I read a lot as a kid, uh, Mysteries of the Unexplained. Hmm. And I actually just uh, bought that on Amazon. So who's it by? Um, it's Reader's Digest. So there's multiple authors. All right. And you can find that. And we'll link the book in the description. Yeah. 
later on. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. This one's not so big, but I like it anyway, and it's kind of weird. So on February 13th, 1746, a Frenchman named Jean-Marie Duberry was executed for the murder of his father. Exactly 100 years later to the day, an unrelated man also named Jean-Marie Duberry was put to death. His crime, patricide. Hmm. And that's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That one does seem like it's just a coincidence. That doesn't seem like any larger planetscape. On, uh, well, that's that when you start getting into, like, if you believe in, like, fate or destiny and stuff like that, <laughs> I think. And we'll get into that later on in, in, at the okay. end of the stuff. All right. And the next one is about uh, shipwrecks. So on December 5th, 1660, a ship sank, and only one person was left alive, and his name was Hugh Williams. And okay. then again, on December 5th, 1767, another ship sank. 127 people died, but one man survived. His name was Hugh Williams. On August 8th, 1820, a picnic boat sank near the River Thames. Thames, that's what it is, River mm -hmm. Thames. Only one person lived, and his name was Hugh Williams. And on July 10th, 1940, a British boat sank. Only two people could escape. A man and his nephew, and both were named Hugh Williams. So if we ever take a boat trip, exactly. we have that's, to change our name. That's what I was thinking. We legally need yeah. to be Hugh Williams in order to get on a boat. Not to get on the boat, just in just, case. Just to be it's, on it's, the it's, boat, it's, just it's, so that when you precaution. don't die. It's a precaution, you... <laughs> so you can live. But there's there's actually another woman that uh, we'll discuss in a little bit, too, okay. that survives. But you'd have to change your name. Other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, next one. This is one of my favorite uh, coincidences regarding the Wizard of Oz. Ooh. So, there's a lot with The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in Wizard of Oz. So, when MGM began planning the film of The Wizard of Oz in 1938, MGM did not want a costume designer to make the wizard's coat, and they decided they wanted a real classic Edwardian jacket. They thought it could easily be found in one of the many costume houses in Hollywood, but after weeks of going through every costume shop in the city, the design team found it might be more challenging than they thought. Undaunted, they turned to New York. And if it could not find it in Hollywood, certainly they would discover a coat fit for a wizard in New York. But after going through every costume house on and off the island again, they came up empty-handed. Determined not to give up, uh, they decided to go to Chicago. And after going to a costume shop there, they began to think that maybe never find the perfect wizard's coat. But as they returned to catch the last train out of Chicago for Los Angeles, they happened upon a used clothing store, a uh, thrift shop we call them today. Um, and while they stopped there, no, no one knows. And as soon as they walked in, there it was hanging on a rack toward the back of the store, a used Edwardian coat, a perfect Edwardian coat. A coat truly for a wizard. They bought it immediately and brought it back to Los Angeles. And to everyone's amazement, the coat fit the wizard actor Frank Morgan perfectly. Then you have to do any alterations. It fit him like a glove. And it was just like it was just made for him. Hmm. And in the late 1930s, filming California, it was such a warm climate. The sound stages would become extremely hot because of the massive lights they would use to make, need to make movies. And so it was only possible to film 15 or 20 minutes at a time before shutting everything down to cool off. Now, to add to that, Frank Morgan had a terrible problem. He sweated profusely. And by the time they got to the end of each take, he would be soaked in sweat. And he couldn't take the coat off, so in between takes, he would just turn his pockets inside out so they would dry. <laughs> and one day, between takes, as Frank stood with his pockets turned inside out, one of the stagehands noticed a name tag sewn into one of the pockets. People gathered around. Frank turned, uh, turned it up to see the original owner's name. And when they did, the entire cast and crew went silent. You see, there was a reason why the coat was the perfect wizard's coat. The name of the original owner, sewn into the pocket, was none other than the real Wizard of Oz himself, L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, my God. You know how crazy? <laughs> crazy. How crazy. That is insane. Like, to find that and, like, serendipitous. Oh, my to, like, gosh. That's what's cool about that one. So, I really like that No, the actors had a really hard time, though, in The Wizard of Oz. I, I know that they weren't allowed to lie down because... Um, 
they didn't want to damage the costumes. Yeah. And so they had them lie back on boards to well, that was when the, they needed to rest. It was the first movie, like, Technicolor, right? Yeah. I think so, so yeah. that's what it was I like. also know that the lion costume was an actual lion skin. Ew. Yeah, it was like a 100-pound lion skin. Oh, one skin. of the things I do know also about <laughs> Wizard of Oz is that Buddy Epson, who played Jed Clampett in the... Uh, um, Beverly Hillbillies was originally supposed to play the Tin Man, but he was allergic to the paint. And so he had to drop out and they got the new actor. To Everyone play the was allergic man. to the paint. They well, had to yeah, change the like, type of paint. Yeah, they were using was, like... But it was like severely allergic enough to where he couldn't do the... Yeah, he had to go into it. an iron lung. They, it nearly killed him. Is that what happened? Yeah, because they were that. using like a powdered form of aluminum that was getting into sure his... Sure, this, this was Buddy Epson and not the actual actor who played the Tin Man. Yes, because okay. they changed the paint for the second actor. Oh, okay. Well, that's so nice that's, of them. Well, that's well, they sucks. had so why, to because why they're didn't killing they, people. No, that's bullshit. They should have gone back. Because he was live. already in an iron lung. Nah. He was already dying. Dude, he didn't die. He lived for another like 40, 50 years. Cause... Yeah, because they put him in an iron lung and he's able oh, to get better. Uh, I think he would have been better. I like him dancing. He does a better dancer than the, than the Tin Man. I've seen that's him all right. <laughs> all right. But Next yeah. one. Edgar Allan Poe had but one complete novel published during his life, and that was the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, released in 1838. The novel tells of a doomed Antarctic journey in which four shipwrecked crewmen decide to eat cabin boy Richard Parker in order to survive. In 1884, four crew members survived the shipwreckage of a vessel named the, the Minganet. The survivors decide to eat their cabin boy in order to live, and as fate would have it, that cabin boy's name was Richard Parker. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, there's a there's another one, too, that I'm talking about, um, about how like it's like premonition almost yeah. type stuff. Okay, so the next one... This is a show called Beyond. There was a show called Beyond Belief, Factor Fiction, mm-hmm. hosted by James Brolin at first in the first season, and then second season by the far superior host Jonathan Franks. Yes, awesome. Because he, Star you know, Trek fan. He actually had fun with it. Yes, they, Commander William Riker. <laughs> uh, Pushing Up Roses did a, a YouTube rewatch, did a retrospective episode about the show, and it's pretty good too. And it was a brilliant premise because uh, I remember watching this with my family when I was because it was like late '90s, um, where the audience watched five stories, some stories. Obviously had artistic liberties, and, get, and you guess which ones were true or not. Yeah. And so I mentioned the show because the next story is sort of a spoiler for part of the episode. <laughs> uh, in 1898, Morgan Robertson published a novella entitled Futility or the Wreck of the Titan. The plot revolved around the HMS Titan, a British luxury liner that hit an iceberg and sank while crossing the northern Atlantic. Of course, in 1912, the Titanic sank in a similar fashion, and that's where things get bizarre. Both ships were considered unsinkable. Both hit an iceberg in the month of April, approximately 400 miles from Newfoundland, and both resulted in the deaths of over... A thousand people. Hmm. The lack of life jackets and lifeboats were also a serious problem for both ships. Tragically, so far, tragically, so far, the real life Titanic. So he predicted the future too. Yeah, so another four. another author writing the future. Type yeah, stuff, premonition yeah, type stuff. Which is cool. Nice. Right. And then again with the Titanic, we're going to talk about Violet Jessup. She was a nurse and an ocean liner stewardess who earned the nickname Miss Unsinkable. Her moniker came from the fact that she experienced two of the most infamous sinkings and one collision. Hmm. Born in Argentina and Irish immigrants, Jessup left convent school back in Britain after her mother, a stewardess on the Royal Mail Line, became ill. To provide for her family, a 20-year-old became a ship stewardess as well, working on the Royal Mail Line before moving on to the White Star Line. Uh, locked in competition with Cunard for the transatlantic passenger market, White Star launched its trio of gigantic luxury liners, the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Britannic. In 1911, Jessup was serving aboard the Olympic that September during its fifth commercial voyage when the liner collided with the HMS Hawk near the Isle of Wight in southern England. There was no fatalities on this one, though. Okay. It was later determined that suction from the Olympic had pulled the Hawk directly into the ocean liner. Oh. And Jessup uh, then made the move to the Titanic in, term, in time <laughs> for the unsinkable ship's maiden voyage in April of 1912 when it sailed out of the Southampton route to New York City. She later wrote in her memoirs of the unforgettable night of April 14th and 15th when the ship hit an iceberg and sank. 
taking some 1,500 people along with it. Jessup helped other women and children into lifeboats before climbing into one herself. One of the ship's officers placed a bundled-up baby on her lap. After eight hours on the lifeboat, a ship called the Carpathia rescued uh, Jessup and the others, and a frantic woman, whom Jessup assumed was the baby's mother, snatched the infant from her arms. The third uh, white star ship, the Britannica, was requisitioned as a hospital ship after World War I broke out. Remarkably, Jessup by then became a nurse in the British Red Cross and was serving aboard the Britannica in November 1916 when the ship struck a mine planted by a German U-boat in the Aegean Sea. Though the explosion caused extensive damage and the Britannic sunk, uh, sank less than an hour later, only 30, only 30 people died and more than 1,000 were saved, including Miss Unsinkable herself. Her lifeboat was nearly sucked under the boat's propellers, but she jumped out and survived. Hmm. Jessica continued working on a cruise ship after the war, eventually compiling a 42-year career at sea before her retirement. And she died at the age of 83, congestive heart failure in 1971. I think that's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. I wonder if I would continue to exactly. work on boats know, after, right? like, after like one so many two, near but deaths. after titanic i think you would have been done you're like yeah nah, we're good it's like no i'm gonna stay on land now like, boats don't like me yeah but oh well yeah all but right she's braver than i am mm -hmm. yeah. okay. up next uh we have the story of Henri dragney i don't know how's it dragna that's his name is french he's a french man from marseille france so it was probably say henry dragney if you were gonna say <laughs> france fought five duels between 1861 and 1878 and the first four, his opponents fell dead before a single shot had been fired. And in the fifth, uh, Dragney himself died again before a shot had ever been exchanged. How are they dying with, before shots exactly. are fired? Exactly. I'm thinking like, either stress. What's happening to these people? I'm thinking stress of the Are they walking duel? out there and then they trip and break their necks? I like, what's happening? I think that's just neat, though. Or, or, or are they all, like, dying because it's the 1800s? Like, I was going to go, but I got the consumption. Oh, wouldn't that be funny? Maybe that's what they were doing, <laughs> the, like, the, doing the duel anyway, because they were dying. Like, we're doing the duel because we're going to die anyway, but it's the consumption. And now we're all dead because it's the 1800s. Yeah. Nah. All right. <laughs> Up next, we got uh, two presidents. I think they're the second and the third, I believe. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Not in that order. John Adams was second. Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. was third. Uh, they died hours apart on the same day, July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of American independence. When the Continental Congress convened in 1775 in Philadelphia, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams became fast friends. The tall, lanky Virginian and stocky Massachusetts native worked together to draft the Declaration of Independence and spent time together as diplomats for the uh, new United States and Europe. Their relationship, however, became frayed when Jefferson succeeded Adams as president in 1801. There's actually a great drunk history episode with Jerry O'Connell as <laughs> Thomas Jefferson. Uh, that's the fat kid from Stand By Me. And uh, <laughs> Joe LaTrulia, who played Charles Boy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine as John Jerry, Adams. Jerry O'Connell's so hot. He is. He, that's he's why, a that's handsome why man. I think one of the Sexy, best roasts they man. ever did was for John Stamos on Comedy Central. <laughs> and Greg Geraldo, uh, R.I.P., said, uh, <laughs> you, lost your, your, <laughs> you lost your wife to the fat kid from Stand By Me. And yeah. that's what happened. He did. Yeah. John Stamos lost. Rebecca remains Stamos. Yeah. Now she got all stamos. Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine are just a beautiful couple. Yeah, yeah. they're really, really, they really handsome are. and both beautiful. of them very handsome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, let's see. On opposite sides, they had a big, you know, uh, describe their falling out. On opposite sides, of the Republican and Federalist defied. The two men remained estranged until 1812 when Adams sent Jefferson a New Year's greeting. The reconciliation spawned a remarkable correspondence that lasted for nearly 15 years on, on July 4th, 1826. As the country celebrated 50 years since declaring its independence from Great Britain, the 83-year-old Jefferson passed away at his Virginia estate, Monticello. The 90-year-old Adam was on his deathbed in Quincy, Massachusetts, and unaware of his friend's death, whispered a few last, sadly mistaken words that Thomas Jefferson survives. Oh. But there's a postscript to this remarkable coincidence, 1831, when James Monroe became the third of the first five U.S. presidents to die on Independence Day. Hmm. Uh, James Madison, Jefferson's close friend and fellow Virginian who succeeded him in the White House, died on June 28, 1836, 
after refusing stimulants offered by his doctors in order to prolong his life until July 4th. Aww. <laughs> so that's weird, though. But I don't remember when George Washington died. Yeah. I think he died a lot earlier than both of those men. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. That's pretty neat. There's going to be a couple more presidential uh, Coincidences. parallels and stuff like that. Nice. All right. And this next one is about a, a bullet that found its mark. In 1878, Henry Ziegler, a farmer from Honeygrove, Texas, began dating Charlotte Karras, and at the time, she began living with Henry on his farm. In 1881, Henry began living with Charlotte at her home and gave his farm to his brother, Jacob Ziegler. In 1883, after dating Charlotte for five years, Henry walked down on her, mm. leaving her and buying back his farm from his brother, who had sold it to another owner. Charlotte was heartbroken by this and committed suicide. Oh. Her brother, James, was angered by this and decided to murder Henry Ziegler. So while Henry was in his barn tending to his horses, James had sneaked into his barn, pulled out a gun, and shot Henry. But it only grazed his cheek and plummeted into a tree behind his barn. Hmm. Not wanting to die, Henry played dead. And after this, James believed he had killed Henry, shot himself in the head. Oh. 20 years later, on June 5th, 1903, Henry wanted to remove the tree in front of his barn. So he asked his brother Jacob to help him remove the tree. They tried chopping it down with an axe. But the tree was so thick that it would take too long before the tree, before the tree would fall. So Henry decided to use dynamite like a genius to blow <laughs> out the tree. So he tied three sticks of dynamite to the tree and lit them. The tree exploded, but instead of being chopped down due to the velocity of the explosion, the bullet that was nestled inside the tree from when James had shot it 20 years ago was plunged towards Henry Ziegler and landed inside of his head, instantly killing him. Wow. I think that's pretty... That's weird. That's really weird, That, one, right? that one's a weird coincidence. I like that I, one. I like that one better. Yeah. I, like, people dying on the 4th of July. That uh, I feel like... But the, because of, it's because of their... Who Their they presidency, were. yeah, that's yeah. because they were, but but, but, yeah. but this one actually that's feels cool more one. like a coincidence. This you one. think it's just a coincidence? <laughs> Come on, I think that was a bullet <laughs> that was meant to kill him. You think that's a bullet that was meant to kill him? Like that he was always going to die from that bullet. Finally finishing the job. So you think there's more at play for that? I don't know. A lot of these, uh, some of these, these are like you know, 40 years old that I remember <laughs> reading about. So they're probably not all accurate anymore. They probably were like, oh, this is a story that was told or something like that. So. Yeah. Take it as you will. Yes. These are fun. An so old I, wives' I like, tale. I like these. So. Yeah. All right. Up next, we have the King's Double. On July 20th, 1900, King Alberto I of uh, Italy and aide-de-camp General Emilio Ponzio Vaglia arrived in Monza, a few miles outside Milan. The next day, the king was to be present the prizes at an athletic meet. And the night they arrived, he and his aide went to a small restaurant for dinner. As the owner took the order, the king noticed that he and, his, uh, he and the waiter were virtually doubles. In both face and build. Hmm. He remarked on this, and the two men talked, and an extraordinary series of parallels emerged, which caused them both to marvel. The two men were born on the same day of the same year, March 14, 1844, and in the same town, each was named Umberto. Hmm. They both were married on April 22, 1868, each two women called Margarita. Each name had named their son Vittorio, and on the day of Umberto's coronation, the other Umberto had opened his restaurant. The, st- the king was staggered by these coincidences and asked the restaurant owner how it could be that their paths had never crossed before. Umberto had told him that even decorated for bravery together on two occasions, the first time in 1866 when Umberto had been a private and the king a colonel, and the second time in 1870 when each had been promoted to sergeant and corps commander. With this final revelation, the uh, padrone returned his duties, and the king turned to his aide and said, I, did t- I intend to make that man a cavalier of the crown of Italy tomorrow. Be sure he comes to the athletic meet. The following day, true to his word, the king asked for his double, only to be told that the man had died in a shooting accident. Shocked, the king asked his aide to find out where the funeral would take place so that he might attend. And at that very moment, three shots rang out, fired by an assassin. The first bullet missed the king, but the second two pierced his heart, killing him instantly. Hmm. So, so do you think the other guy was assassinated because they thought he was the king? Ooh. That makes a lot more sense. That now. does make a lot more sense. <laughs> that they makes just sense didn't, to, yeah. yeah, like, oh, I'm going to assassinate the king. There he is. Like, yeah. oh, no, that's just like, that's not a king. That's just some restaurant owner. Yeah. But yeah. I think back then, I think all it would is take is like a mustache for you to look like somebody else. 
pretty pretty simple. Yeah. All right, next one. <laughs> well, you might have learned that the World War One was caused by the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Your history. Oh, the band of Franz Ferdinand. Remember what? that? Take me out. That's a, the the band name is Franz Ferdinand. Oh. That's what that was. That's a pretty pop. It's a pretty popular song. Take me out. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Your history teacher could have left out the fact that the assassination was made possible because assassins stopped for a sandwich. You see, the original attempt to kill the Archduke failed miserably, and their bomb hit the car behind Ferdinand's, and he escaped the scene unscathed. Obviously, the assassins were angry about this, and one of them stopped to get a sandwich at a nearby cafe. Meanwhile, the Archduke dashed off in his car, happy to be alive. Unfortunately, his driver made a wrong turn and passed right by the cafe where his attacker stopped for a bite to eat. And the man saw him, shot the Archduke at his wife, and sent the world into a tailspin. The assassination said it had been the launch point for World War One. Yeah. That's weird. No. I don't know. That's not as fascinating as the bullet in the tree. Oh, it's fine. It's still cool. <laughs> that's, that's an assassin wanting to kill a guy and then, you know, bumping into the guy you're going to kill and then killing him. Yeah. yeah. But what, what has to happen for that to happen, though? Like, uh, you have to guys... fail the first time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you have to suck at assassinating people. Uh, okay. And then your driver also Actually, has to suck at driving. They didn't suck because he did eventually assassinate him. Yeah, so. but only because of a sandwich. That's the point. Yeah. Is that he was killed because of a sandwich. He was, which is stupid. They, I, I still think they would have run into each other eventually. They, right. The assassins were looking for him. All right. All right. Next one's about Robert Todd Lincoln. Another presidential? Yeah. These yeah are, bringing they're, back they're, the... The reason why they do this is because that's, they're, they're, they're worth mentioning because of the, the people that they Recognizable are. names. Yes. They're not going to be like, oh, who's Henry Ziegler? Like, he's yeah. the farmer in Texas that... Or, or Hugh that, Williams. Yeah, Hugh Williams. Yeah. Like, who many, Let's talk about all the Hugh Williams Yeah, because probably because, you know, back then, everybody named their kid Hugh Williams. And it's because like, everybody was name. illiterate. It's a very popular name, so that's probably why that's not really a coincidence, though. No, know. everybody was illiterate, and that was the name they knew how to spell, so they would name their kid that, so they all could right. write on a birth certificate. Well, this one's cool, too. I like this okay. one. Okay. While it is rare to be present for the death of a president, Robert Todd Lincoln was in some way present for not two, or not one, not two, but three presidential assassinations. On the night of his father's assassination in 1865, Robert declined an invitation to Ford's theater, but he was with the president when he passed away the next morning. In 1881, while serving as Secretary of War, Robert was at the Baltimore and Potomac uh, Railroad Station when President James Garfield was shot. Eventually, Garfield died probably from the you know, substandard medical attention given to the bullet wound. Yeah. Because they that's a That's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, that's real bad. We're about to talk about that later. Garfield. We'll talk about yeah. that later. But anyway, uh, two decades later, the star-crossed Lincoln went to Buffalo to visit the Pan-American Exposition a sort of New World version of the World's Fair. When he arrived, Robert was immediately told that the President William McKinley had been shot. He visited McKinley on two occasions that week and was heartened, to, was heartened to see that, in his estimation, the President was on the road to recovery. Sadly, however, McKinley took a turn for the worse and died a week later. But here's the weirdest part. It's possible that Robert wouldn't have been witness to any of these presidential tragedies if he had not been a narrowly avoided accident himself at a Jersey City train station. During the Civil War, a year before uh, his, his father's death, Robert found himself in a potentially lethal situation when he fell between a moving train and a platform. He was yanked by the collar and saved just in time, pulled to safety by one of the most famous actors of the day, Edwin Booth, brother of John Wilkes Booth, the man who would soon kill Robert's father. The young, younger Lincoln recognized this hero and wrote about the incident, but it wasn't until years later that Booth found out who he had been saved by. Hmm. Who had saved him? That's crazy. I, I don't know. That's just, there were fewer people. Fewer people? There's so still you're more likely millions to meet of people. people. Yeah. Millions of people. They're just running in the in same Jersey, social circles. In Jersey, uh, John Wilkes Booth was a Southern extremist, so why would he? Why would his brother? Well, it's because his brother it's was his a, brother. His, his brother's an actor. He's traveling no, with the his actor. his brother was a Northerner. He hated, yeah. he, they hated each other. Because, yeah. Well, I mean, they hated each other even before that. Yeah, because they, they both wanted to be actors, and Edward and, was a far superior actor than and, John Wilkes Booth was. And their dad was... There's a good drunk history about it, too. With... Who is it? I think it's Adam Scott plays John Wilkes Booth, and then his brother's played by uh, <laughs> Will Forte. That's pretty good too. You should watch that. Drunk History does it's it's, it's dumb, but it's good. <laughs> All right. 
Next one, this was this one's a lot of uh this is like a lot of conspiracy theorist type okay. stuff, which I kinda like. But yeah. <laughs> uh, this is about the Kennedy assassination bill. It was a one dollar bill issued in Dallas only two weeks before JFK was killed. There's, there's it's now known as the Kennedy assassination bill. Since Dallas is the location of the eleventh of the twelve Federal Reserve Bank districts, the bill bears the letter K. Eleventh letter of the alphabet and the number eleven appears in every corner. And the serial number begins with a K and ends with an A, standing for a Kennedy assassination. Eleven also stands for November, the eleventh month of the year, and two elevens equal twenty-two, the date of the tragedy. And the serious number is nineteen sixty-three, the year assassination occurred. So it's really weird that they made the a bill two weeks before they had all that stuff, like it was uh, supposed to happen. <laughs> all right, now we're gonna get in the parallels between Lincoln and Kennedy, and some of these probably a little bit of poetic license, but we'll see. I don't know. I just found it and put it yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Lincoln was elected president in 1860, and Kennedy was elected president in 1960. I said 18 and 19, right? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> Both men were assassinated on Friday in the presence of their wives. Each wife lost a son while living at the White House. Oh, that's sad. Both men were killed by a bullet that entered the head from behind. Lincoln was killed in Ford Theater. Kennedy met his death while riding in a Lincoln convertible made by the Ford Motor Company, which I think that's a stretch. That's a stretch. But that's what people yeah. do it. And said both uh, men were succeeded by vice presidents, both named Johnson, and they were su- who were Southern Democrats and former senators. Uh, Andrew Johnson was born in 1908, and Lyndon Johnson was born in 1908. Oh, backwards. Uh. Andrew Johnson was born in 1808. Lyndon Johnson was born in 1908. The first name of, of Lincoln's private secretary was John, and the last name of Kennedy's private secretary was Lincoln. Hmm. And then again, both assassins were Southerners with, who held extremist views. Both assassins were murdered before they could be brought to trial. John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald both have three names and are made of, of both 15 letters. And then Lincoln and Kennedy both have seven letters. And again, I think this one is just, I think if you go looking for something in something, you're going to find it. Especially with numbers. People yeah. love to like assign meaning to numbers when yeah. there isn't there. The fact that they both have seven letters in the name, that's fairly common. Uh, 15. My first name's Heather. Yeah. Okay. So that doesn't mean that I'm going to be assassinated by someone with three names. You don't know that. You think I will? I think, well, do you think that they set assassins up with three names? Did they intentionally give them three names? Yeah, like, like do they just give them their middle name as part of, just to make it three? Just to Mine make would it never work because I have four names. Yeah, you have and two middle kid, names. And our, and our kids have two middle names. So they can't be assassins. Yeah. So we'll have to pick out their career goals for them. Nah. <laughs> All right. No. Well, here's a happier one. Yay. The, the Nebraska they, they, church they, explosion. Yeah. Is that happy? <laughs> Don't be reading the stuff. I'm supposed to okay, go over I'm it. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So choir practice at the West Side Baptist Church was scheduled to begin at 7.20 p.m. on Wednesday, March 1st, 1950. It always started at the time, so this was by no means an unusual event. Which was, what was unusual was that at 7.25, the church exploded. It, it's been suggested that after the furnace was lit, preparation for the choir's arrival, a gas leak may have caused a blast. It was powerful enough to blow the windows out of nearby buildings and even knock a local radio station off the air. And not a single person was hurt because no one was there. Every single member of the choir that was late that night, every single one was late for a different reason, Reverend Klimple, who lit the furnace, went home after to have dinner, but ran late when his daughter's dress got dirty and his wife was ironing a clean one. The church pianist fell asleep at home after her, her own dinner and woke up at 7.15. A high school student was stuck on a geometry problem with her homework. Two other members couldn't get their car started. One man was stuck writing a letter and another was helping her mother. In total, 15 different people were late for 15 different reasons, such that no one was in the church when it eventually blew up. That one's pretty cool. That's that, cool. That one might be more. You think it's more? That one could be more. <sighs> just like... I have a problem with... Fate di- looking divine, out for people. A divine intervention. Divine intervention like that, that like, people oh, are because just... these people were good church-going people. They all survived. Well, I didn't say that's why they survived. I know, but that's what people will say. That's <laughs> yeah, what, that's because, why... I mean, lots of people die who are good people. Yes. And that's incredibly that's... depressing. Yeah. Let's go so. on. Let's move on. Moving on. <laughs> these, are all, these are all depressing, these next <laughs> ones. Not okay. really. But they're fun. I like them. <laughs> 
It's about the Hoover Dam. According to the United States Bureau of Reclamation, out of the estimated 21,000 people that worked on the building of the Hoover Dam, there were 96 deaths on the job site. Among the first was J.G. Tierney, who drowned along with his colleague on December 20, 1922, while conducting a geological survey prior to construction. 14 years later, on the exact anniversary of Tierney's death, the final death of the project was recorded. It was his son, Patrick Tierney, Aww. who, according to the Las Vegas uh, Review Journal, fell from an electrical tower. That's really depressing. But it's a coincidence that the son died too? Come uh, on. Did, did the dad get the son the job and then, I mean, because... It's 14 years later. I doubt he, I don't know if he was old enough. Depends on how old know. Yeah. it was. Because I don't know if I'd want to work on a site that my dad died, but I could see him For wanting starters, to do that because his dad died there and yeah. wanted him to do something. But I don't know. Electrician is a dangerous job. And he might not have been an electrician. He just might have been on an electrical tower. Why was tower. he on an electrical tower? Why if he wasn't, why does he Because it's be, not safe to be climbing electrical towers. People do it all the time. So, <laughs> no, I, that's really depressing. All right, family. let's go another one. <laughs> another one that's depressing, not really. Joseph Figlock was walking down the Detroit, Detroit Street in the 1930s, minding his own business, when a baby fell Ooh. from a fourth-floor window straight onto his head. A year later, the same child fell from the same window again, landing on Figlock. Luckily, in both cases, Figlock and the infant survived their unexpected meetings. Who is dropping this kid out of uh, window? In the 1930s, he had baby Somebody cages. Call CPS. He had baby cages outside Someone the Someone call Child Protective Services for the 1930s. They didn't have that back then. They, have that back then. they should. We we should always not be dropping kids out of windows. No. And, you know, I'm glad Figlock was able to save the kid's life, but also stop dropping the kid out the window. I think it's because what about the fact that it was, you know, a year later, the same child fell from again this, while he was walking yeah. by. Like, maybe the kid's like, oh, he's there, and he just jumps out. Like, that'd be weird. But. He's like, hi, friend. No. Um, right. But I guess he had a really regular schedule and walked by that building a lot. Just a year later, just walking to work again. All right. This one's called the Deadly Kimono. Hmm. A kimono successively owned by three teenage girls, each of whom died before each, before each had had a chance to wear it. Okay. It was believed to be so unlikely that a Japanese priest cremated it in February 1657. As the gar- garment was being burned, a violent wind sprang up, fanning the flames and spreading them beyond control. The ensuing fire destroyed three-quarters of Tokyo, leveling 300 temples, 100 palaces, 9,000 shops, 61 bridges, and killing 100,000 people. Dang. Think that's a cursed kimono? I think that's, that's some a- poor fire planning. Well, like, it's true. 16, I know, 1657. Everything was made out of wood, so it's yeah, like, poof, everything it's- was gone, but still. I mean, just some poor like, oh, engineering. Got, I don't know why you had to burn it because, like, oh, the Japanese priest, let's cremate the kimono because of th- three girls that died before they each had a chance to wear it. Well, like, they thought they were burning the bad luck away. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh. But that's that's really depressing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll go to more depressing ones. No, some of these aren't. They're almost <laughs> done. We've got about five more, and then that's it. Okay. Next one's about plum pudding. Ooh. Plum puddings, which I don't think I've ever had in real life. Have you had one? No, I've had bread pudding. That's not the same. I know it's not the same. We should make plum pudding. We've, but no, the, the real traditional way to make it is you're supposed to like put it in a stocking and hang it. And For it, like a long time. Like, which I don't know about eating a, a stocking aged plum pudding. I wonder if like, where would I get stockings? Central Market might just do plum puddings in that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I'll check it. You gotta go oh, well. plum pudding. Plum puddings are an, an English rather than a French specialty. specialty. And according to mathematician Joseph Mazur's book, Fluke, 19th century French poet Emile Deschamps experienced the coincidence with the record books. As a teenager at a boarding uh, school in Orleans around 1800, he met an Englishman named Monsieur de Forgeboo. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> how would you say it? Fortgeboo? Uh, Forgeboo? De... F-O-R-T-G-I-B-U. Forgeboo. I try to look up how to pronounce Forgeboo? his name. Forgeboo? 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 I don't know. Do you think the T is silent, maybe? No, it could be. Forgeboo? Forgeboo? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well. Introduced Deschamps to plum pudding for the first time. Roughly a decade later, Deschamps saw plum pudding on a restaurant menu and ordered it, but the waiter said that they had sold the last one to a man in the back of the restaurant. 
And then he called out Monsieur de Forbu by name. <laughs> and he was there. Another decade passed and Deschamps went to a dinner party that served plum pudding. He joked at the party must be for Monsieur de, de Forbu, who then explicitly showed up at the door. At that very <laughs> moment, he had accidentally came into the wrong, had accidentally come to the wrong door on his way to another dinner party. How okay. is that? Because like every time this dude had plum pudding, he showed up. Yeah. Now I really want plum pudding now. Yeah, I really want to try it. Cookies aren't enough. Uh, maybe we'll do that during Christmas time or something. Yeah, we'll maybe we'll do, do like pudding. a plum pudding. All right. Maybe we could do a figgy pudding. Next one. This one's like, eh, it's okay. Some of these are just like, meh. Like I said, Royce Burton experienced an incredible coincidence in front of an entire classroom of witnesses. Burton, a teacher at the New Jersey University, decided to tell his class a story that had taken place in 1940, back when he was a Texas Ranger in the Rio Grande. As the story went, he had been become disoriented while climbing out of a canyon and nearly lost his balance just as he reached the top. At just the right moment, another ranger stepped in and dragged him to safety by his rifle strap. The two connected but lost touch when they both was, when they both listed as soldiers in World War II. Just as he's recounting the story, who should walk in the classroom but Joe, the other ranger? Joe had tracked him down all those years later and just happened to walk in the precise moment he was telling the story. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. That's a cool one. I like yeah. that one. That's pretty happy. This next one's not happy. Oh, no. That's kind of sad. But... It's okay. Is it more dropping babies out of windows? No, let's, let's <laughs> it's deal with uh, nuclear okay. bombs. Oh. oh, no. Yeah. So on August 6th and 9th, 1945, the United States detonated two nuclear bombs in the Japanese cities of um, Hirosh- was it? Hiroshima. Yeah, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, respectively. The blast and the radiation they caused afterward killed nearly 90,000 people. But in 2009, the Japanese government confirmed that there was at least one man who was in each city on the days of the bombings. Ooh. Yeah. And lived to tell, and lived to tell, tell the tale. On August 6th, uh, Sutomu Yamaguchi was in... in Hiroshima on a business trip. As I was walking along, I heard the sound of a plane, just one, he told a British newspaper. I looked up into the sky and saw the B-29 had dropped two parachutes. I was looking up into the sky at them, and suddenly it was like a flash of magnesium, a great flash in the sky, and I was blown over. By August 9th, he had returned home to Nagasaki, only experienced the trauma for a second time. Despite the double radiation exposure, Yamaguchi lived to be 93. Wow. And he passed away in 2010 from stomach cancer. Dang. That's crazy, though. That would suck. So I don't bad. think I'd want to survive that. I That's... think I would, yeah, because he, he burned on the... Um, I think his arms and his face because mother didn't oh, recognize him when he came home. That's horrible. But then he he reported to work on August 9th is what it was. That's what. It's that's, like, wow. He's like, what are you doing? What like, are you doing? Because he was on a business trip for the August 6th one. And then it's like, he goes, oh, I guess we'll go back to work. And it's like, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh. All right. Another sad one. <laughs> <laughs> in 1974, a 17-year-old Neville Eben was killed in a taxi accident in Bermuda while riding on a moped. A year later, his brother Erskine, now 17, Died while driving the same moped after it struck by the same taxi driver carrying the same passenger on the same street where his brother perished. Oh my gosh. Is that a coincidence? Because that really sucks. That really sucks. Should have taken away that, that dude's... That guy should not have his license. Yeah. He and committed pass- manslaughter. And the passenger would be like, uh, let's not get into this. Rah! No, keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> the story of uh, Jim and uh, Jim Lewis and Jim Springer, twins uh, brothers separated birth and their eerily similar lives after meeting each other for the first time after 40 years. A few weeks after their birth in 1940, at only three weeks old, their adopted parents coincidentally named them both James. Both men came to be known uh, as Jim for short, and that was just the start of it. The two would grow only about 40 miles apart from each other, one of the boys adopted by the losers of Lima and the other by the Springers of Piqua. Both families knew that the child they adopted had a twin, but did not know what became of them. Both had a beloved childhood dogs named Toy, and as school children, both had proclivity for math and woodworking, but were not good at spelling. If the childhoods were uncanny or similar, they also had early adulthoods, which were truly remarkable. Both Jims had married twice. First time, they married a woman named Linda. When this didn't work out, they got divorced. They bet and went on to marry a woman named Betty. Okay. And both Jim Lewis and Jim Speaker had a son. And you sure you saw this coming? Both gave their boy the same name, James Allen. Um, uh, but in Lewis's case, is only one L. And James Allen with two L's in Springer's case. Both Jims are heavy smokers. 
Uh, both drove the same car, Chevrolet, and had some of the Chevrolets are everywhere. Yeah, Chevys so. are everywhere. Both had jobs, similar jobs in security. Jim Lewis was a security guard, and Jim Turner had been a deputy sheriff. And they even took a vacation at the same Florida beach. Maybe Where, it was priced well. I guess. I don't know why you go to Florida if you both live in, uh, I don't even know where they're from. <laughs> oh, well. In the case of the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, case, the case of the brothers and others like in one on influence theories of nature versus nurture and how science thinks about the effects of hereditary over environmental factors. Some have even considered that Jim Tim's case is possible proof of telepathic connection. I don't think it's telepathic connection between twins. You don't think so? No. I mean, I get the similar abilities. I get the same uh, inclination towards mathematics and difficulty with spelling. Mm, they could normal, both have sure. dyslexia. We don't know. The, the both... marrying the Linda and the Betty is a little weird. And yeah. But the naming, naming their, their kid James after themselves James is Allen? not weird. James Allen, though? That's but pretty Jay, weird. Again, James is a super common name. Alan not is not that themselves. much. Of, Alan's not that much of a common name. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of was. Was it that when the Allen doll was out? Uh, I don't know. When it, well, there were only 39 in 1979, so I don't know. I don't know. It was probably earlier than that. I'm not sure when the Allen doll came out. 1940. Ken's best friend, Allen. I think it was the 60s. Yeah. So oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> and here's the last one. This one's not that great, but I like it anyway. Okay. So in the early 1970s, Anthony Hopkins, I think it's Sir Anthony Hopkins. Now it is. I yeah, think so. Was slated to play Kostya, Kostya in a film adaptation of uh, George Pfeiffer's The Girl from Petrovka. To prepare for this role, he set out to read the book, but was unable to find a copy despite scouring bookstores everywhere. In his frustration, he went into the Leicester Square subway station to catch a train home. And there, lying on a bench in the station, he noticed a copy of the book. He had been searching for the left behind by a forgotten fellow traveler. When he opened it, he found that the book had also been signed by its author, George Pfeiffer. But that's not the end of it, because two years later, when Hopkins was in Vienna working on the film production, he was visited by George Fiverr. Fiverr told him he didn't have a copy of his own book. Why? Because he led it to a friend who had accidentally lost it on the subway. <laughs> and so Anthony Hopkins returned it back to the original author. That's pretty cool. That's weird, right? That one's fun. That, that one's, that's a, that fun one's one. a nice fun that's one to fun end one. on. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now I want to talk about coincidences in my life. Do you have any coincidences in your life? Think about that while I'm going over mine. Because hmm. I remember when I was traveling with my family, I think we were... were um, I can't remember if they were coming back or I think we were coming back from visiting my mom and papa in Kentucky. And we stopped at a, a random gas station. Well, not really random, but it was off the highway. And uh, my mom tapped me on the shoulder and goes, I think someone's yelling your name. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> it was like, we were like 200 miles away from the, like, Cabot, Arkansas. And when I stopped, it was a classmate of mine. Mm-hmm. And then it was Dana. I remember her because she was cute. So this is what I still remember, you know, all these years later. But it was just weird because I remember like, we were like 200 miles away from home and it's like we're just some random guest and she goes hey and she's like I remember she's her saying small world because that's what people say when they run into people that are you know miles apart from where they usually are supposed to be and I thought that was pretty neat yeah. and then another instance is um, I was at a college party this was in Western Kentucky University I think it was like my junior year or something like that and I was talking this, Jonathan was talking to somebody and this kid mentioned that he was from Arkansas and he's like and I was like oh I grew up in Arkansas he was like what town he's like oh you probably wouldn't know it and he mentioned Cabot, Arkansas. And I was like, dude, I'm from Cabot, Arkansas. And he's like, what? And he's like, and he's like, and then he goes on. He's like, I went to Westside. He goes, I went to Northside. Do you know this person? And I was like, yes, I know them too. And it was really <laughs> weird because it was been like 10 years since I lived there. But yeah, that's just random people, you know. Meeting, meeting random people. people. Yeah. Do you have anything? Um, Do you remember anything? I remember one time when I was in college, I was walking to work and I found $20 on the ground. And... I thought that was pretty cool because I had $20 now and then I ended up having to pay for parking at some event that I wasn't aware that I was going to have to pay for parking and they were only taking cash and it was exactly the $20 I needed to park. That's kind of sad. Yeah. 
So it was worthless. It was like, I mean, it's good you found it, but it's still like, nah. It's like, yeah, I got to go to the thing. Oh, I don't wow. even remember what the thing was, but the parking was insanely expensive for it. So that was fun. It's well, not too bad. <laughs> so what do you think about coincidences? You think that they're, again, you just think that this has happened, random stance, or do you think that it's, I'm not going to say happenstance, but it's like random stance. <laughs> random stance. Random stance. I like, I like random stance. It sounds good. We're going with random stance. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's mostly random. You think it's just random? Yeah, I, I don't think there's really much divine intervention. No, and no, I think that higher, that's like... we want it to be divine intervention, but then that doesn't explain all of the horrible things that happen to good people. Yeah, but what about like us having, what about us meeting? Like you're from Texas, I'm from a military brat from California. Yeah, but if we're in a multiverse, isn't everything going to happen? Uh, don't <laughs> don't even talk about multiverse. Don't start no, the audience on multiverse. Everyone will go insane. It's stupid. It's a dumb, it's a dumb thing that I don't like. Yeah, it's Cause, that because uh, time travel doesn't make any sense in multiple different ones. Wasn't there some quote about Einstein saying that he didn't believe in a god that would roll the dice? Then and he then only says like a, like thirteen instances of multiverses anyway. There wouldn't yeah. be that many. There wouldn't be infinite. But they yeah. mean, it's like why would it be infinite? But they Star saying, Trek yeah, but it ended up creating you, so it's important. I guess. Yeah. Oh well. No, it is weird that we met though. That, that is a bit of a coincidence. Right? Because I had to go pick that out. I had to go with my friends. We had to decide to move out of our old apartment and move to that specific apartment. Yeah. And I had to go to Western Kentucky. Yeah. Which for, was weird. Which you get because you're from Texas. You're like, why would that yeah. happen? And it's like, because otherwise we never bumped into each other because I was not in the math program or at, like all. That at all. You, so, I was a grad I was, student I was, I was in Kentucky. I was out of math. So. And we lived in the same. And that's just all coincidence. Huh? House nothing, that had been converted nothing, into an apartment. Nothing big happened. Nothing Faded us together. It's like, nope, just coincidence. Just coincidence. We just, it just happens. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes there's symmetry to it, which makes it seem more significant than it is. Yeah. That's what I think. That's that's conspiracy again. Yeah. It's conspiracy theory. That's a good movie with Bill Gibson. I remember that one. Spoiler. He's alive at the end. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's the bad guy. I like that too. Yeah. Star Trek. Good. But everything revolves around Star Trek. We do love Star Trek. Star Trek's good. Well, We're like going to be talking about Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Next yeah. week. Oh, should, we, should we do that as a plug for next week? Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, next week, we're going to see LeVar Burton speak at UTA. University of Texas, Texas Arlington. Arlington. So we're going to be talking about LeVar Burton, more likely his life, and my favorite, uh, one of my favorite characters. Well, there's only like seven characters on Star Trek Next Generation. Anyway, but I'll be talking yeah. about Jordy, reading, Rainbow, reading Rainbow, stuff like that. Literacy. Yes. All right. So, so again... Um, so we're trying out something new today. We did a little more bantering at the t- beginning of this yeah. episode, and we want to know what you guys think. Do we like a banter, or do we want to just jump straight into the story? Yeah, I guess it gives us a chance to get to know us a little bit more if we're talking about stuff. I don't know. Yeah, let and, us know oh, what you oh, think. And also, um, we're going to put a few little um, questions at the end of this, or on Spotify, or we got a website now, if so you want to answer to that. Um, you know, do you believe in coincidences, or do you think there's a bigger, higher power, or something like that? Yeah. It's the website is Peace Talks with a Z. So that's that's why P E A C E T A L K Z dot com. Yep, and there there's, there's like you could put your name and email and yeah, you can follow us, give us suggestions, leave suggestions, yeah. All right, let us know what's going on in your lives. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Peace out. You'll have a good day. <laughs>